The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. I'm your host, Mariana Hewitt. In this episode, I'm joined by KJ Miller and Amanda Johnson, co-founders of Mented Cosmetics. We chat about their experience at Harvard Business School, advice for new businesses, and their pinch me moment with Oprah. Keep listening to learn more about Mented. Thank you both so much for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. And for people who don't know about you two, I would love to hear a little bit more about both of you and about the brand. Sure. Well, this is KJ. I'm co-founder and CEO of Minted Cosmetics. Amanda and I, we met in Harvard Business School where we both graduated from 2014 and shortly thereafter had the idea for Minted which is a pigment-first beauty brand celebrating women of all hues and prioritizing women of color. And we had the idea because Amanda mentioned to me one night while we were, you know, sharing a, a bottle of wine that she'd been looking for the perfect nude lipstick for three years. And I immediately could relate because I couldn't find any lip color that was suitable for me, much less a nude lip color. And I think for both of us, that was really our aha moment where we said, how crazy is it that we can't find something as classic and as simple as an everyday nude lip color? And that was the moment we decided if other brands weren't going to make it for us, that we'd make it for ourselves. So Minted really was born out of the problem that we had, which was, you know, we couldn't find prestige beauty brands really speaking to us as women of color, prioritizing us. And instead they were making us feel like afterthoughts. And we just felt like no one should have to feel that way in the world of beauty. Of course. And when you guys are thinking through the product development process, how involved are you two? And then do you like to include other people in the process too, to make sure you're really covering all skin tones and ranges through product development? Yeah, this is Amanda. I'll start and then I'll let KJ take it over because she heads up our our PD. But I, I can talk about the beginning and the early days. And the early days, as KJ said, we were trying to solve our own problem. So when it came to product development of nudes and neutral lipsticks, which is where we got our start, it was really about the two of us finding our perfect nude. But we knew that was never going to be the beginning and end of our story because we were always trying to solve this much bigger problem in beauty around pigmented shades that are inclusive. So we started with ourselves. We were very lucky to kind of knock it out the park and knock our perfect shades out, which are Dope Taupe and Minted Number no. 5. Still to this day, two of the top selling shades at Minted. But then we invited our friends and our family and people who knew people who knew people <laughs> to our apartments in Harlem to test out the shades that we were creating. You know, we needed some live bodies in the room because we know, particularly a woman of color, the, the shade that you see online isn't necessarily what it will look like on. And so we wanted that real human feedback. Where we headed in the right direction? Is this a color that will actually work for you? And I think the philosophy of our product development, not only is it around highly pigmented shades and everyday beauty, but also that idea of inclusivity and not only in the shades that we produce, but the way we produce it. Truly, the way we've created our entire company is around us not being the only voices at the table. Absolutely. And I love everything that you guys stand for. And I think this year, so many more people have got to learn more about your brand. Is there pressure that came with that? Yeah. You know, I think 2020 has been a weird year in so many ways. And one of the things that came out of it was, you know, while the country was experiencing so much social and civil unrest around social justice issues, around the deaths of people 
like Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, there was also this kind of uprising, this upswell of people saying, well, let's focus on the good in the Black community. Let's focus on how we can uplift the Black community. And out of that came a lot of press around Black-owned brands. And so that is something that we did benefit from. We did suddenly, you know, I think in June, we found ourselves in over 50 publications, everything from the Today Show to all of the beauty magazines, Business Insider, you name it, we were sort of featured. And and of course, that meant that we were suddenly on a broader stage. You know, we had customers flocking to our site who had never even heard of our brand before. But, you know, to your question, you know, that added more pressure or a different type of pressure. The answer is not really. I think we've built this company on the firm belief that everyone should be able to find themselves in the world of beauty. And that message resonates no matter your skin tone, no matter your gender, no matter your age. And so we've just felt really blessed and really lucky to get the chance this year to share that message more broadly. And I want to ask, I know the two of you have met in business school, but a lot of people either didn't have the opportunity to go to business school or maybe it's that opportunity has passed for them. What is business school actually like? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'll start with Amanda. I'll say it's exactly what I expected and also not at all what I expected. <laughs> and uh, I know that might sound trite, but truly... I went to business school for two reasons. I wanted to get a broad general management education. I wanted to learn how to become a leader and a manager. And that's what business school prepares so many for, those higher thinking, strategic conversations and decision making. So I totally got that at business school and I was expecting it. I think the other thing I was expecting was to network, meet a lot of people across a lot of different industries, have access to an amazing network, alumni database. Both of those things were really true. The thing for business school that I wasn't expecting was actually the startup bug. And there are a lot of bright, young, excited people talking about startups, whether it failed or it didn't. They were just excited to try again. And there was this real energy, whether you were in healthcare or media or a product of physical good around startups and what they could do for the ecosystem and how they were going to change the global economy, you know, everything down from the very minor detail of how do you put a ad on Facebook to much bigger meta thoughts around how this type of innovation was going to change the world and how these type of leaders were going to cause that impact. I just found fascinating and I wasn't expecting it. And I think across business schools, they've gotten much more thoughtful about incorporating startup education and encouraging their students to take that seriously as a career path. So I wasn't expecting it, but very thankful I got that lesson. And when you were both at school, was the plan always for you guys to leave and you wanted to start a business or did you want to go into some of those other career paths that you were learning about? Well, for me, I came into business school knowing I wanted to start a business. And in fact, I had tried my hand at it a couple of times before business school. And then again, during business school, launched a couple of startups that ultimately didn't work out, but I knew this was the path I wanted to take. Whereas, you know, I think Amanda came in and and was more introduced to the startup bug, as she said. And, you know, I I did want to just chime in on your earlier question, which is sort of what business school is like. And I will say, we actually had a business school case written about us. Harvard wrote a case study about us. 
which is very great. And we've gone back every year since they wrote it to kind of guest lecture. And we were back this year. And of course, this year, everything is virtual. So we were back in the Zoom classroom. And I will say the in-classroom experience, I personally felt was just as strong as the in-class experience when we were there. And that, of course, was one piece of the business school experience is being in class, being surrounded by so many smart people, opinionated people who have so many different backgrounds, hearing their perspective. And I think they've done a really good job at staying true to that. And I actually had a chance to guest lecture at Yale School of Management earlier this year as well. And same thing. So I think the in-class portion, you can get you know, in the room, you can get remotely. What I think is probably missing for these students, and I feel so bad about because it was so important for at least my time in business school, is the out-of-class experience. And in some ways, it can feel a little bit like undergrad, right? There's certainly plenty of partying, plenty of socializing, plenty of networking, but it's better in a lot of ways because you're an adult and you've lived life and you've worked at a job and you've paid bills. And so the conversations you're having with people are multifaceted and you know span so many topics. You're talking about your family life. You're talking about you know who you want to marry is the person you're with the right person to marry, but then you'll switch and you'll be talking about, I'm thinking of going into consulting. I don't know if I should do this startup thing. And I don't know. I just felt like that was such the out of class experience is such a big part of business school that I do really feel bad for any students missing out on that right now. But it is just one part. And the in-class experience certainly was, was one that I loved as well. And you mentioned the case study that was written on the brand. Can people access that online? Because I know there are some Harvard Business School case studies that you can purchase to view. I think you can purchase it. Yeah, like it's, you can't get it for free. Harvard is really like bad about that. <laughs> but I think you can, I think you can purchase it, yeah. And you mentioned starting some businesses before, prior to business school and during school. For people that, you know, have maybe tried their hand at starting a business before and it didn't work out, what advice would you have for them to like continue and push and try something new again? Because it can be so disheartening when you try something and it doesn't work out, but you got to keep going, either pushing it with the one that you're doing or start something fresh and new. Yeah, totally. Well, I envy Amanda because her first try at that, you know, she knocked it out of the park and we're... (laughs) We're doing we're doing pretty well, if I don't say so myself, but I was not so lucky. So I started five or six different startups. And you know what I say to entrepreneurs is I think the best thing I did for each of those was I gave it my all. I let myself fall into the excitement of every single one of them. But I also, when I realized I wasn't passionate about it, let myself walk away. And I talk to entrepreneurs all of the time who are you know, kind of in a rut. They've been, you know, beating a dead horse, trying to do this thing because they had this idea a year ago or two years ago. They won't let it go, even though the fun isn't there anymore. The passion isn't there anymore, but they feel like, you know, I've sunk all this time into this thing. I've got to make it work. And, you know, it's the sunk cost theory of economics. Like a sunk cost is a sunk cost. You can't get it back. So don't spend any time worrying about it. You know, like the question is, what are you going to do with what you've got now, the life you've got now, the time you've got now? And so, giving myself permission to walk away from those startups when they didn't work was always such a relief because then I realized like, oh, I'm still excited about things. There are other ideas out there and I don't have to just do this one thing just because once upon a time I was excited about it. And then when the two of you started your company, you had such a mission and I think it speaks so well to what you guys were missing you know, in the beauty world. Do you think it's so important now for any new business to have to have such a strong mission and really fill a gap in the marketplace? 
Yeah, this Amanda, I mean, I think those two things are, I would say, separate. I think anybody going to start a business, no matter what the intent or passion is behind it, you absolutely need to do it in a space where there is space, right? Whether you are innovating on a product or there's a complete white space in that market or that industry, there needs to be room and a reason for your business to exist and room for you to grow. On the mission piece, I think, you know, you look at any company, there's always a mission and a vision and values and all those things. And I think we started to conflate the mission of a company with more social conscientious missions. But I don't think every company that exists needs to have such a strong like social mission. However, I would say particularly when it comes to physical products or certain services, conscientious customers really are thoughtful about where they're putting their dollars and what the company stands for and what it does. And so in that regard, yeah, I think you need to have a strong mission to back what you're doing and to make sure customers buy in. But I don't think it's needed for like, you know, some sort of social mission anyway, needed for every business everywhere. I think there just needs to be conviction around why the business exists. And then if people are new to Mented, what products do you think they should try first if you guys both have favorites? Oh, man. Well, you know, we were founded on lipstick. It's our hero category. And I would say not just lipstick, but lips in general. So I think if you start with a minted lip, you're going to fall in love, whether that's our lipstick, our lip gloss our lip balm, which is currently sold out, but is coming back next month, you know, whichever category, I think that's a really great place to start because we worked really hard on creating lip shades that work across skin tones. So I firmly believe everyone can find a really great lip color in our collection. And then for people who maybe can't try product in person right now, do you guys offer shade matching on your website or different ways to see what the products might look like on your skin tones? Yeah, we try and take the mystery out of online shopping. So we have some great tools. We have some quizzes you can take, whether it's around lipstick or foundation, to help you find your shade. We have an interactive shade finder on our site where you can see other models and people in the lip shades against different skin tones and ethnicities to help you find your right shade and see what it will look like on you. When it comes to our foundation, we offer a sample pack. So if you buy our foundation sample pack for $5, then when you go to buy a foundation, you'll get a $5 credit. Or if you buy a foundation, you can get the sample pack for $1.50. So we really are trying to help people. And then along with that, whether you are DMing us on social or emailing our customer service, we'll always help you find a shade match. If you send us a picture, we'll send you a recommendation. Oh, I love that because I've been sharing so many foundations and people are like, I can't go and sort of try them on. How do I know my shade match? So I love that you have so many different solutions for people to find their perfect match online. I wanted to ask you both about being partners and co-founders. So I feel like when I talk about partnerships and co-founders, it really is like a marriage. Like you're getting married to someone and then sometimes it's even more serious because there's more people involved and more contracts and everything. And so when you're looking for a partner or co-founder, what personality traits or characteristics are really important to the two of you or you think other people should look for? It's such a good question, but always such a tough question, I feel, at least for me to answer because Amanda and I had this idea together and I meet so many founders who have an idea and then look for a co-founder. And, and my truthful sort of advice is, you know, to really think twice about whether they want to bring on a co-founder because I think they're going to find it difficult to give that title to someone who didn't share in the idea, particularly if they've already started down the path of doing the work. That said, I will say, you know, one thing that I think is a hallmark of our relationship is that 
we have the difficult conversations. We don't shy away from them. And we've gotten better at having the difficult conversations because we've worked at it. We brought on an executive coach, I think, in our second year of business and had some really difficult conversations that year and decided, you know, we probably need a third party to help us. Not not so much referee. I don't think either of us was worried that we would start like yelling and screaming at each other like Real Housewives. I think it was more that like we wanted to make sure the conversations we were having were going to be productive. And sometimes when you're in your own head and in your own corner, it's hard to navigate those conversations. So we did bring on a coach for some of our more difficult conversations and really to just learn how to approach one another in the most efficient, most respectful way possible. And and we've carried that with us. So I think the fact that we were willing to do the work speaks highly of you know how much we respect one another as partners. An executive coach was something that we were looking into earlier this year, and then we ended up not being able to. And it's something I think I want to look forward to in the future. But if people haven't had the opportunity to work with one, what exactly do they do with you? And what are some of the most valuable things that they've taught you that you could implement into your business day to day? I'll say this about executive coach. You want to be very thoughtful with who you bring into that role and your co-founder relationship, because it's truly now someone who knows all the insides, right? Like (laughs) they know all the mess, the good, bad, and the ugly. And you want to make sure it's someone both people feel comfortable with, feel comfortable learning from, and also feel comfortable being vulnerable with, because that's the experience, right? If you walk in there and you don't tell the whole truth and you don't put your whole self out there, it's like, what's the point? And by no means is it cheap. So like, it's worth it to get the full experience. And KJ and I went in eyes wide open after talking to lots of people to figure out like who would be good for both of us? Who do we both like? And I think the lessons we walked away with exactly what KJ said is like learning how to have difficult conversations better. And that's whether it was with each other, with employees, you know, there's so much management learning involved as the team grows and scales. How do you manage all those people? How do you get people to be their best selves? How do you give them that critical feedback? And then of course, doing those same things with your co-founder. These aren't easy things for anybody to do, let alone while you're running a million miles an hour uh, (laughs) starting a company. So we found a woman, Anne, who is fantastic. She's worked with a lot of startup co-founders. This is literally like what she does, performance coaching. And I would say what's critical in the process, again, is like just being honest with yourself, what you want to work on, and then actually practicing that. Like those exercises, you get worksheets. They'll take a skills quiz of some sort. I'm sure every performance coach has one that's slightly different, but really using all those tools to learn and grow in a meaningful way. And my next question I wanted to ask about was money. And a lot of people are trying to start businesses right now, and I think they don't even know where to begin. And I know that you all had raised money before you launched and then again afterwards, but for people who are starting a new business, what advice would you give them when they're pitching themselves to investors, especially if the brand hasn't launched yet? Because it's a lot harder to prove the concept. Well, I'd say a couple of things. When we launched, we had raised a very, very small amount of money. If memory serves me correctly, we had raised $50,000 from one investor. And that was after pitching a lot of investors. It's not like we just found someone and they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, we like this. We'll give you 50K. That was after pitching you know, maybe 20 or 30 investors. So we only had 50K in the bank when we launched. So we knew we would be running the business and raising additional funds as we went. So that's one thing I would say is sort of like be prepared for that, particularly your first year out. Yes, there are people who are able to kind of 
raise a pre-seed round of a couple hundred thousand dollars before they ever launch anything. But those few people are few and far between. So don't feel in any way like you're doing something wrong if you're not one of those people. We, we certainly were not. So we did have to raise while we were running the business in our first year. So don't be afraid of that. Another thing I would say in terms of advice is, you know, we had a network, we had our HBS network, but that was just one network that we utilized. And I think a lot of times people feel like, I don't know any investors, how am I even going to get this started? We cold emailed many, many investors or found people on LinkedIn who we were connected to sometimes somewhat nebulously. You know, I remember reaching out to people I hadn't spoken to since high school and saying, hey, I see you're connected to so-and-so investor. Would you mind giving me an introduction? Here's my blurb. Here's what my business is about. And no, that didn't always work, but sometimes it did, you know? So I think like being really scrappy and understanding that like you're never going to get a meeting if you aren't actually reaching out to these people. Like they're not looking for you (laughs) more than likely. So being scrappy about that. And then I think the third thing I will say is just pay attention to the types of no's that you're getting because you're going to get some no's. Chances are you're going to get a lot just like we did. And if the no's sound like, no, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense. I don't think the market is big enough. I don't see how you're going to be able to make a difference. Like if the no's you're hearing are essentially people saying like, I don't think this is a good investment. Then after you get a certain number of those, you might want to rethink some of your pitch. You might want to pivot part of it. But if the no's you're getting and the no's that we got felt more in this camp are, you know what, I like this, you're a bit early for me, or I think this sounds like you guys are going to figure this out, but this isn't really my space. I don't know enough about it to feel comfortable. The no's are more sort of like, I think this is good. It's just not for me. Then you know, like, okay, well then let me find the person it is for. And you can have more confidence continuing on that path. That's great advice about the no's because Lauren and I had came up with a business idea before Summer Fridays and we pitched it to someone and they were like, it sounds great if you guys want to do this for yourselves, but there's no way to make money off of this. And it wasn't until I heard it coming from someone else that I really like understood, okay, this isn't a good idea. And it's not because it's not bad, but it's just like, there's no way to scale this. And so I think that no for us was really good advice. And then as far as the other type of no, when people hear rejection, what advice do you give someone when they're hearing so many no's, when they know it's a really good idea and they want to keep pushing forward with it, but they're facing you know, so many no's and rejections over and over again? I think in the entire startup journey, whether it is fundraising or a new vendor or an employee you really wanted to score and bring on, you're going to hear a lot of no's. I mean, there are going to be a lot of doubts about what you're doing because hopefully you're doing something that new, right? And that innovative. And lots of people jump on the train after it's discovered, you know, after it's a thing. So I think part of it is understanding that that's the part of the ride. That in and of itself directive of failure, it's that it's just a part of the startup journey. So I think getting perspective, having thick skin is necessary. And then I think as KJ said, realizing the difference between a no and a this just isn't for me. And I think it can always feel like it's always a no and doom and gloom and and you pile on top, but you really have to become discerning about what people are saying and how you can use that feedback to move forward. It's not easy and not something you can do day one, even if someone tells you, you kind of have to go through it and feel it, but it just makes you smarter and more thoughtful along the way. Absolutely. And for Mented right now, where are the available retailers where people can buy the product? So first and foremost, our site, mintedcosmetics.com, 
We are also available at Target, select Target. You'll want to go to our store to find the store locator. And we're also available on HSN. So Amanda and I are live on air almost every month selling on HSN. Also hsn.com and qvc.com. And when you go into places like that, the the quantities become so large. How do you manage going to a business like that? Because I think for some people, even for us starting out, you want to be at these big retailers, but sometimes you're just not ready internally yet to you know function with such huge orders. So how do you prepare yourself for a retailer like Target? It's something we spend a lot of time on and we're thoughtful about. We launched in 2017 as a direct-to-consumer brand. And I think we thought we would start, when we first were pitching investors, we definitely said like, oh, we're going to be on shelf. But once we were in the business and we realized what it took to truly be retail ready, we pushed it out for two reasons. One, we wanted to own the customer data. And two, we needed the resources to truly be retail ready. And that meant, you know, getting the supply chain to a point where it was consistent and more efficient, understanding the cost related to starting in retail. So it's not just about putting your product on the shelf. It's all of the advertising and the shelf dollars and how much product you need to create. Or There's a lot of costs that go into it. And then internally, do you have the expertise to actually manage this business? There's a lot that you do on a daily basis back and forth between all of the retailers that you're in. And so it's no easy feat just to get your your product on the shelf. And so I think having a real plan about what it takes, how much it costs, having an eye towards what retailers you want to work with, because working with them all as a startup is a (laughs) non-starter. I'm sure you don't have the money for that. So I think just being very targeted with your retail plan and what you need internally to execute it. Amazing. And I want to end with a few quick questions. So I want to ask you both your three Holy Grail beauty products. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) Well, my number one is our brow pencil. It's called our high brow pencil collection. And I have like the world's sparsest brows, like literally my brows are essentially non-existent. So I put on a brow every single day and our pencil is perfection. So that's my number one holy grail beauty product. I would say number two is our gloss. I swear by both Mauve Over and Thin Nudes. Those are my top two shades. I just feel like if I put on my brows and I put on my gloss, I look like I'm like alive and I've done something (laughs) for the day. But those are, you know, really simple steps. And then I guess my third, I mean, I want to say another minted product. I I guess my third is I do love Tula's probiotic cleanser. I think they make a great cleanser. I've tried a bunch. I have really, really, really sensitive skin and their product is great for sensitive skin. So yeah, those are three products I swear by. I'll go with minted dope tote semi-matte lipstick. It's my perfect nude and I wear it all the time. So every girl needs their perfect shade. So that's one. I'd say the second is Belief Hydration Aqua Balm. It's my face lotion, but it's actually like a gel. It's really nice for oily skin. I swear by it. It took me a long time to find a good moisturizer for oily skin. And then my third would be the Clarisonic brush. I think it's a Mia too. And I know it doesn't exist anymore. So hopefully everyone buys one on Amazon. Um, But if you have oily skin and you're constantly combating like breakouts because of your oily skin, I swear by Clarisonic and I do it every day. Amazing. And what's a pinch me moment for both of you with Mented? Oh, easily. Biggest pinch me moment was meeting Oprah this year. Ah! (laughs) We found out we were going to be her favorite things list and we had a Zoom call 
And the Zoom call was scheduled to be with Gail King, which already is amazing and we were super excited about. And then halfway through the call, Oprah appears on the Zoom and it's just like, Minted, you know, and was so excited and was like saying our names and saying the names of the products. And I was like dying the whole time. So that's easily. <laughs> I have chills yeah. all over. That's so incredible. I feel like Oprah is like the queen for everybody. And I would be so thrilled. So that's so, it's so incredible. And I'm so happy for you both. If people are looking for jobs at Minted, where do you post job listings? Yeah, well, when we have open positions, we post them on our careers page on our site in the footer. I think it's called like join us or join the team. And then we also often post on Indeed. Right now, we don't have any live job postings, but check back at the beginning of the year. Certainly Q1, we're going to be hiring. So we're excited for that. Amazing. Thank you both so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.